Hallelujah. Everybody doing good? Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. We are uh, we're going to continue our series that we've been on, Break Your Chains. And so uh, a couple of our thoughts today might uh, be parallel to what some of you heard over the weekend. If you were with us uh, over the weekend for the Restored Life, Recover Life. Did I explain that to you last week? I think I did. Uh, so the ministry with two names. Okay. So, uh, yeah, we're having fun. By the way, if, you, if you're after the audios, uh, we have the audios available by download. This is the newest, coolest thing we're doing. Uh, you can scan this with your camera on your phone and it will know what to do. And it'll give you a link and you can download the material to your phone and have all 12 of the audio lessons on your phone. Isn't that fun? So if you don't have that, you need that. And everybody said, how come when Joel said revival is here, two of you said amen? That was the, the, that was the weakest excitement concerning the glory of God in our midst that I have heard lately. Uh, are you all awake out there still? Just bump somebody beside you and make sure you didn't pass away during worship. Um, then we have, the, we have the audio on self-deliverance. Uh, this is a shorty. It's not, it's not gigantic, uh, but it's good, and it's powerful, and it's, uh, it's something that you should be listening to. So this is the audio on self-deliverance. Likewise, you can pick this up over at the little media center on the way out and uh, grab this. It'll download the audio message on self-deliverance to your phone. Um, and then, of course, you know, right now we have four books up on Kindle, and we have those same books up on our new Restored Life Press. So if you go to restoredlifepress.com, uh, you can get, and you can get the big book, uh, the Break Your Chains book. Some of you have been asking, where is the big Break Your Chains book? Uh, which is, uh, we keep showing it up here like it's printed already, right? Uh, so, but we're in the middle of editing it. So when you get the download, you kind of get Pastor Dwayne's raw notes. So right now we have a couple of folks doing editing work on it. So it won't be near as sloppy as the stuff that comes off my computer so that you'll still love me after you read it. And you'll, you'll, you'll practice self-deliverance as you read it. And so anyway, you can grab that though, I think for like $2.99 on Kindle or on restoredlifepress.com. We want you to go to restoredlifepress.com and, and uh, get that. How many of you have been reading uh, the Move Your Mountains book? How many of you have been reading that? So you all need to do us a favor uh, even on Amazon, because that one's still up on Kindle. Uh, so we pulled it down, the print version we pulled down, because it's in the middle of editing. But you all need to do us a favor and go up and write reviews on this stuff. Because the whole world needs to know this stuff, don't you think? Why are you here if you don't believe that? Shouldn't you be at First Baptist down the street? I mean, shouldn't... If you don't believe that the whole world needs to hear this stuff, then, right? 
Am I right? So go up and write a review. Let's, let's let the whole world know that this is something they need. Has it helped you? How many of you it has helped? Well, come on. There you go. Praise the Lord. All right. So let's dive into today's word um, on Break Your Chains. Um, The title, what's the title? Oh, the title is supposed to be Secrets. What was the title? It's behind me. Secret Weapons. I have to read my own stuff. Secret Weapons to Defeat Temptation. That's good. Okay, that's what we're going to get into is temptation. All right, good. Anybody ever been tempted in the room? We're in the right room. That's good. All right. Okay, good. Let's start talking about why we're talking about this stuff, okay? So let's, let's talk about why we're talking about this. First of all, uh, in church, the major focus in Western theology, Western church, in church, the major focus has been getting you born again. That's been the major focus. The evangelical Protestant focus has been getting you born again. And so we might know getting born again uh, in terms of defining that as asking Jesus into your heart. Revelation 3, he stands at the door of your heart, and he knocks, and he says, hey, can I come in and hang out with you? Okay, So, Revelation 3. So, we might, we might have different expressions for the salvation experience, okay? Uh, but, you know, John 3 tells us a few things. Uh, John 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in verses 3 through 5, and he says that you can't come into the kingdom unless you're born of the Spirit. So he's kind of telling us something right there. He's actually telling us that getting born of the Spirit is the door. It's not the kingdom. It's the door. So unfortunately, there's a lot of hovering around the door in evangelical churches, expressions, and theological hoverings. We, we got a lot of hovering around the door, so we have a lot of us kind of hovering around the door, and, and instead of moving through the door and into the kingdom of heaven life. And so what God has for us is He wants you to come through the door, but then He wants you to get into the fullness of the kingdom of heaven life. And so we move through the door that's getting born of the Spirit. And getting born of the Spirit, we probably know that best through like passages like Romans chapter 8, 8 through 10, that we believe in our heart Jesus is Lord, and then we confess with our mouth. For it is with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, right standing with God, imputed to you, given to you, deposited in your spiritual bank account, it is with the heart man believes resulting in righteousness. It is with the mouth that he confesses resulting in salvation. Sozo in the Greek, being delivered out of darkness, being delivered into light. Okay, So we probably would relate that best. And so what I've been saying to you, though, is that there's a couple other steps because the whole picture of salvation is really a picture of a brand new marriage. The picture of salvation is the picture of a brand new marriage. You're divorcing the loose 
untrustworthy, perverse woman of Proverbs 5, that's Satan. You're divorcing that unclean spouse, and you are getting married to Jesus, the one who's faithful, the one who loves you, the one who laid down his life for you, the one who has taken you in, the one who embraces you, the one who cares for you, the one who is redemptive, the one who's gracious, the one who's merciful. So that's more of this picture. So the picture doesn't end with getting born of the Spirit and with what Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. The the picture just starts in John chapter 3 in getting born of the Spirit. It moves on, and, and Paul tries to explain this stuff to us. It moves on into you coming now to the divorce proceedings. You can't be married to both. You can't be married to Jesus and still go out on dates with the Proverbs 5 untrustworthy woman. So there's a severing. There's a divorce, and he tries to explain that throughout Scripture now with kind of the second and the third step. We've been calling this the second and the third step. The second step is bringing yourself to the cross, bringing yourself to the cross, bringing your sinful nature, bringing your old self, bringing your carnal nature, bringing your flesh nature, bringing bringing yourself nature, bringing your consumed with self-nature to the cross, and they're putting your nature up on the cross and identifying that the death of Jesus is also your death and that you no longer will live for yourself, but you'll live for Him who gave Himself for you. I'm going to attempt to explain that a little bit more because I think it's good to hover on some of this stuff as we're kind of growing and learning and trying to understand that to walk into the fullness of salvation, to to walk out what it really is to know God, to be a son and daughter of God, it's not just getting born of the Spirit. It's just not getting coming forward and saying a prayer and asking Jesus to come into the door of your heart. But there's something deeper involved here. There's a transition into the new creation, and there's leaving the old and coming into the new, and there's a fullness of divorce and a fullness of marriage. Now, the third step we've been telling you is that when you were married to the demonic realm and and you were connected, you were interconnected to the demonic realm, it wasn't just a picture. It wasn't just a metaphor. It just wasn't expression. It wasn't just a figure of speech or a, a figurative thing. It was actually a spiritual connection. So the third step we've been telling you is that when you come into this divorce, you also must dismiss the spiritual power that was attached to that old creation life. And we've been telling you that's deliverance. Deliverance is natural. Deliverance is normal. Deliverance is right. Deliverance is needed. Deliver every one of us. There's not a person in this room. There's not a human this side of Adam that has not needed deliverance except for the one who has redeemed us. He said it himself, Satan cometh, but he hath nothing in me. 
he hath nothing in me. That's what he said of himself because he was one who was born of God. He was the second Adam, but because he was victorious, he became the last Adam. But for us, when Satan cometh, he hath something in us, and that's a bit of a problem. So that's why we bring that which connects and relates to him. We bring it to the cross, and then coming to step number three, we begin to resist, we begin to confront, we begin to dismiss those powers that were attached to that old marriage relationship. Recognizing it's not just a figure of speech. It's not just a picture. It's, not just, it's just not a symbol. It's more than a symbol. There was a real thing happening. Ephesians 2 says it was a spirit, a spirit, and, and not just one. Speaking of Satan, the spirit of disobedience that works in the sons of disobedience. So this is part of our victory. Part of our victory is becoming powerful in deliverance, powerful in authority, powerful in stating who we are as ones who are now redeemed and restored and bought back in Jesus. I want to read this to you. It's probably best read to you as I kind of talk a little bit about the cross, some things that I pinned that I think have value. When we enter into the new creation life, we enter into covenant. We enter into the covenant that Jesus has sealed. Jesus sealed a covenant with Father as a man. Everybody say, as a man. Not in his divinity, as a man. Not in his divinity, as a man. Jesus sealed a covenant with Father on our behalf. The shedding of his blood unto death. In other words, he pledged himself as the fountainhead of a new covenant on our behalf unto death. The, the shedding of his blood unto death was done on behalf of us, on behalf of mankind. He was a representative fountainhead of a new people. Laying down his life was fulfilling the pledge of the new covenant. In fact, is the word means... The word covenant means unto death. I talked about it at the Recover Life, Restored Life conference over the weekend. You've heard me talk about it before. A covenant means unto death. That's what it means. Is it means I lay down my life unto the death. Unto the death. That's why when we seal a covenant, the symbol, the sign of the beginning days of sealing a covenant was to slit the wrist and to mingle the blood. Why was there the slitting of the wrist and the mingling of the blood? Why? Because you were saying in covenant that I am now as good as dead for you. I lay down my life for you. I will pay your bills. I'll fight to the death for you. Consider that my life is yours. Consider anything you ever need. You can call on me, and I will give it to you. I will no longer live for me. I will live for you. And in a covenant... The covenant partner is saying, likewise, I will live for you. There's, there's the exchange of weapons. There's a covenant meal. There's the exchange of names. There's the exchange of the coat of arms. There's all of this that takes place in a true covenant relationship. And the symbol of it, this is why the Bible says there's no covenant that can be made without a death. This is why the lamb that was slain was a 
picture and in the mind of God, the lamb that was slain before Jesus was the lamb that was slain was a picture of the lamb who would be slain because no covenant can be sealed or inaugurated without the shedding of blood, without the death of him who makes it. So when you enter into covenant with somebody and you exchange the blood, essentially you're saying that I'm, I'm dead right now. Oh, but, but I'm still living. But I'm living as if I'm dead to me, but alive to you. I, I've told you before, uh, this is even where your mortgage gets its, because all covenants go back to this thinking and this terminology. And so we would sign in blood. And then blood became signing in ink. But the ink represents something. It represents blood and your mortgage on your home. It comes from the word meaning death note. When you sign with the bank a covenant to pay your mortgage, the word mortgage means death note. It means I will pay this unto the death. I'm pledging everything that I possibly have to pay you back unto the death. Isn't that cool? Isn't that crazy? A covenant is where you declare you no longer live for yourself. You will give yourself up completely to the benefit of the other person. You will defend them. You'll pledge your life to them. You'll pledge your assets to them. All of you is now theirs. If they need anything of you, you will not hold back. If they ask anything of you, you will not hold back. You set your life and your living to actually bless them and to make them fulfilled. You find out what they want, and you go and get it. Joel Joel will often ask me, she'll say, why did you do that for me? And I will say, because I live to please you. I'm constantly thinking how to please you. We had a goofy thing arise this last week, not a pleasant thing. Uh, But for three or four years, maybe five, she's talked about how she wants one of those barn door refrigerators with the... I call it a barn door refrigerator. No, no, not a sliding door. It, it's a central door refrigerator, whatever. Double door refrigerator with the freezer on the bottom. Jesus, help us. So, so Tuesday, Tuesday, Caleb bought one for his house, and he's all excited about it, his new house in Kelso. So he's all excited about it, and uh, he gets it to the house. It took him hours to get it in the house. It was bigger than the house. <laughs> Finally got it in the house, stripped off, you know, take the door out of the house, take the doors off. Of the, I mean, just, you know, every. They had to slide it through on carpet. They finally get it in there. Didn't fit. He was so excited about this thing. Three years old, Samsung. Somebody paid twenty-eight hundred dollars for it three years ago. 
He was so excited about this thing. So I'm like, well, maybe we can figure something out. <laughs> it kind of hit me midday. I'm kind of like, Caleb, yeah, I might have a solution for you. What's that, Dad? I think, I think Mom's old junker will fit. Really? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Uh, okay, well, what, what am I going to do with that? I think it'll work. Uh, we'll figure it out, honey. So Papa loaded up. After work that day, Papa loaded up the junker in the trailer, drove to Kelso, and pulled out the Samsung Beauty. Brought that home. Then Mrs. Wolf said, honey, I just, I don't know. I think that's, it's actually bigger than our house. I don't know if it'll actually fit. And, and we, we got it in. We blew the house out, blew up a couple walls, got it in. It's amazing what you will do for somebody when you're in covenant with somebody because you're mindful of them. You're thinking about them. Come on, all of you that understand what I'm talking about, you that have children, you that are married, you, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. You, you, you're, thinking about, you're thinking about what they desire. You're thinking about what they need. You're thinking about what's on their heart. You're just always thinking about, and to go to these crazy expenses and driving back in the middle of the night, uh, pulling back a Samsung fridge, uh, it's like, this is what we do. This is what we do. This is what covenant's all about. It's what covenant's all about. All of you is now focused on living to bring them pleasure and joy. Your life is no longer your own, and in covenant, they too begin to live the same way. This is what makes a covenant a joyous fruit salad of giving and receiving. This is why you must take up your cross. Jesus gave up his life to inaugurate a covenant on your behalf with Father, to bring you into the family, to make you one with the Godhead. In giving up his life or loving you to his death, the whole of the Godhead has been given to you. Jesus was saying, I have gone to the death for you. All of my resources are yours. All of my strength is yours. All of my wealth is yours. All of my health is yours. All of my victory is yours. All that I possess, I no longer consider. I possess it for me. I possess it to bestow it upon you. He's thinking of you all the time, how to bless you, how to fulfill you, how to bring you into joy and liberty. He's not thinking of him. He's thinking of you. He is the husband, the giver, the kind lover you've only dreamed of, and you're the apple of his eye. Now, for you to enter into that covenant, you have to give up the lordship of your life. You have to enter into that covenant that Jesus has inaugurated with Father, having done it on our behalf. But no covenant is sealed without the shedding of blood. For that reason, a covenant entered into is a pledge unto death. That's why we talk about the cross. That's why we have water baptism. Water baptism is the inauguration of that death. Water baptism is how you enter into the covenant that Jesus has inaugurated with Father on your behalf. In water baptism, you are saying, to the death, to the death, count me as dead. 
It is your marriage ceremony. It's covenant. When Joel and I were married, the live for Dwayne life had to die. Married guys, are you hearing me? When you get married, if we are to understand marriage all the way back to covenant, it's not, it's not your, your happy doorway to legal sex. Well, it is that, but, but it's much more than that. In, in marriage, when, when you're married, the two of you say, the live for Joel life, the live for Dwayne life is dead. It's over. From this moment on, I live for you. And what makes it work? The fruit salad of joy that, he, he, that, that it explodes out of that is that the two of you say this together. You say this over one another, and you say this with 100% commitment. That's what makes it work. Now, church, you are married to Jesus. Jesus, all my resources are yours. Jesus, my breath is yours. Jesus, my strength is yours. Jesus, my skills are yours. Jesus, my words are yours. Jesus, I no longer live for you. Uh, uh, for me. Boy, you were, you, were, you were hanging on that one there for a moment, weren't you? You're like, is he going to hear that? He just messed up big. Jesus has laid down his life and completely for eternity altered the Godhead so as to bless you with the royalty of sonship. But you and I, our participation in the blessing and the royalty is contingent upon our death. If we won't die, then we cannot participate and to the degree that we die is the degree that we participate. Crucified life. The crucified life. The crucified life says, I'd rather do it your way than my way. The crucified life is not saying that the other way doesn't work. The crucified life is saying, no matter how big the payoff, no matter how big the promise, no matter if even if the promise of the demonic realm, the unclean realm, the earthy realm, the natural realm, no matter what the earthly realm offers me, I would rather do it your way. I'm going to do it your way, Father. I'm going to do it your way. Jesus, I'm going to do it your way. That's the crucified life. The crucified life is saying, because you, because you have a path for living, and it gives you pleasure to see me walk according to the Spirit rather than according to the old life that I walked in, because that blesses you, then it blesses me, and I'll do that. I'll do that for you. I'll do that for you. 
want to talk about the weapons to defeat temptation. Um, you okay? You still here? Matthew 4, verse 1, New International Version. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And then he said, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. By the way, that was a dismissal. That was a di dismissal proclamation right there. Get out of here. I'm done with you. These temptations are over. The Lord rebuke you. Get out. Go. Here's what I want you to see, and we'll pick it up at the first passage Yet every one of these were coming at a place of high vulnerability. After 40 days and nights, 40 nights, he was hungry. The first temptation that came to him was when he was hungry. Now, these temptations came while he was vulnerable. Vulnerable and hungry, he was fasting. He was fasting. hungry, vulnerable. First temptation appeals directly to his highest point. By the way, anybody in the room fasted? Anybody in the room fasted three days? Hands up. Fasted three days? Hands up. Anybody fasted seven days? Hands up. Look around. Hands up. Hands up. Hands up. Your body doesn't like it, does it? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, it, it's, not, it's not happy. Um, Forty days, your flesh literally starts to shrink. Um, I mean, your fingers get so skinny you can see bone. And things start to shift within you in a 40-day fast. Jesus did this not in his divinity. He did this in his humanity. He had to get to the lowest low. He had to get to the deepest depth of vulnerability so that when Satan came and he overcame, should he overcome, then it would have meant something great on behalf of humanity. I want to present to you that Satan does the same thing with every one of us, that he watches for hunger. 
He watches for the vulnerability of fasting. The vulnerability of going without. And then he comes, much like he did to Jesus, much like he did to Eve, he comes with an alternate pathway to get your needs met. Temptation comes when you're fasting. And it's not necessarily a planned fast. But this is where you are the most tempted to pull yourself off of the cross and to re-resurrect the old nature. To reconnect with the old pathway. 